the flashing girl from Flushing, the nanny named Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Miss Fine. Ho, 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 and welcome (laughs) to another episode of Oh, Mr. Sheffield, a podcast about the hit 90s sitcom The Nanny, starring Fran Drescher. I am your co-host, Sean Pasquale, here with another co-host, Tori Sheffield. It's weird. We're like co-co-hosts. I don't. Well, I don't think anyone, either one of I us, should be the singular host. You know. Or does co-host literally just mean there are co-hosts? Two hosts, and then a co-co-host is not a thing. <laughs> Speaking of co-co, ho ho! This is the Christmas episode of season three of the Nanny. We're doing season three, episode fourteen. Oi to the world. Uh, which I was really hoping would be a reference to uh, the punk sound, oi, 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 that is often made in British punk, but it wasn't. It was actually <laughs> the uh, Jewish... Uh, Shockingly. The An Jewish ex- exasperated sound of mm-hmm. oi. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, every time you keep going, ho, 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 my instinct is to make a joke going, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Oh my God. Just, just like, hey, my name's Toria, and I we've talked about this. <laughs> um, I, I kept wanting to jump in, but you were just you just kept talking right after you said it, so I had to, I had to a not do it, but b bring up that I had wanted to do it. I love it. I love it. Um, if we seem all over the place and kind of uh, struggling to get a foothold on this episode, that's because we kind of are. It's a very, very strange episode. It is a uh, <laughs> Christmas special. Okay. I wrote it's a sort of Grinch meets the Wizard of Oz meets Willy Wonka animation special. <laughs> Interesting. And it Because it had elements of all of them and it – it aired, by the way, December 18th, 1995. So just a, a mere week before Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And they brought in a special animation um, director or like director for animation for this one, Lauren sure. McMullen, who it looks mm-hmm. like she worked on tons of stuff throughout her career, including a lot of The Simpsons and some movies. And- yeah. I mean, look, it's a real animated episode. I mean, they the, the animation style definitely follows the opening credits animation style. So I feel like they were kind of locked into that, which, you know, it's fine. It's, it's one of the things I actually enjoyed about this episode is the animation style because it's very unique to this show. Um, yeah. I don't know if it works as like a full an- – like it works really well for the theme song. I don't know if it works for a fully animated world. Well, it's the thing is – when you're watching this, at least for me, the first few things I thought was like, oh, A, it's weird watching this show without a laugh track. Even yep. the, uh, And then also, it's weird. It, it took me a while to get used to the like cartoonish sound effects because it was the kind of thing like within the first couple minutes, you know, like Fran is like climbing up Mr. Sheffield's back to put the star on the Christmas tree. And it's like, dun, 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 dun. And it's like CC shows up and it's like ominous, like dun, 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 like cartoon villain music. And it, it was like a weird adjustment it is weird. Um, when you're used to watching a half an hour live action sitcom. I have to say, though, as weird as it was, I was very um, impressed with their commitment to this episode and like this bit almost, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause in, in the episode was written by uh, Fran Drescher and Peter Mark Jacobson. Um, and it's, it's just, 
We are, it's so weird. Know, I, like it, it's clearly an homage to the types of like animated special, like animated holiday specials that both you know Peter and Fran probably grew up watching. It feels yes. very in line with the Rankin and Bass uh, holiday stuff. You know, you've got the CC as like the abominable ice queen, which you know I think is like a direct reference to the abominable snowman claymation Rankin and Bass specials. So I mean, there's a lot of nods in here to. what I would assume had to be influences from their childhood. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the the episode opens with, (laughs) this was my favorite part is the episode opens with the, the normal theme song, but it's sort of overlaid over a backdrop of like snowflakes falling. And, and only at the very beginning of the theme song, do they add in, like jingle bell, like, uh huh. Like it's like bells. jingle bells, like jing, dun, 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 yeah, dun. Like, and then jing, it could- jing, jing, and then it just is the nanny theme song. Mm-hmm. I thought for a brief moment, oh, cool, that we're gonna get like a remixed Christmas version, and it was not, it was just that they had already spent their budget on animating an entire 22 minute episode, <laughs> and they and they reanimated the um. The intro too. There's like Christmas hats and little Christmas flares, mm-hmm. and in the last um, shot where they normally like gather for the family portrait, um, there's just like Christmas decor, and, and Chester is there, and Chester barks. So I was actually impressed because I was like, you know, it yeah. takes so long to animate. Um, yeah. Just the fact that they like doctored the opening credits, I thought was impressive. And I'll say this: while we keep saying it was weird, it's actually no weirder than a normal animated Christmas special. And I agree, it was just like. Very, very cool homage. It's just like a cognitive disconnect to watch your normal sitcom and then have it not just be animated, but have it be like fantastical, magical, like monsters and yeah, and chocolate rivers. I, that's why it's weird, but it's supposed yeah. to be. It's by design. And like, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but we were both like, this is some crazy shit. It <laughs> is. And, and it doesn't necessarily follow the structure of a normal nanny episode. So I think that also, yes, when we're saying weird, I think that's also part of it is it's, it's just structurally so different that, <laughs> um, that wrapping my head around like taking notes and figuring out how to talk about this episode was, which is much more difficult than a normal episode yes. where you're like, all right, A plot, B plot, this, this, this. Yes. No. Yes. Um, so. Um, well, this this is it starts with Fran decides that Brighton has lost sight of the true meaning of Christmas. Mm-hmm. So she decides to take him to a homeless shelter to volunteer, but she ends up hitting her head on the way there. And then sort of in a very Wizard of Oz like way, they wake up Fran, Brighton, and Chester wake up in the north in like a candy land, but it's like the North Pole. Um yeah. and uh Chester is now talking. And yeah. they go on this adventure and it sort of yeah. leads them to, you know, meeting Chris Kringle and meeting a uh, elf well, version of Niall. the whole episode. <laughs> oh, well, it's because I kind of feel like because Are we not going to so- talk about the episode? Okay. Okay. I just – all right. You're right. You're right. I mean, what do you – I mean, it's up to you. <laughs> I just – I feel like shouldn't – I don't know. It's like – it's such a like – um as you said, it's such an unconventional episode that I was – I think I almost just want to like talk about it all, everything all at once. But you're right. Let's let's slow it down. Let's slow it down. Yeah, we so, can – let's break it down in order. So like we open with, you know, the – Maxwell Sheffield is standing on Niles's back wearing golf shoes. This That's how we open, which is like it is fully – 
this is an animated world where like the joke is like, you know, uh, Niles is on all fours as Mr. Sheffield is on his back wearing spiky golf shoes, trying to reach the top of the tree to put the star up. And then Fran climbs onto Maxwell, who is on top of Niles (laughs) to reach the top of the tree. And it's, it's a very silly animated sequence. It's Mm -hmm. cute. Um, and then Brighton comes in and we get the, the, you know, as Tori established, we get that Brighton doesn't really understand the meaning of Christmas. And so Fran, you know, it, which tracks, frankly, with Brighton's character as he's been portrayed in season three. He's sort of very much come into his own of like, I'm rich. And like, that's all that I, that's my whole personality. Well, no, I, I totally disagree. I think he's the best kid because he's he's self-aware and funny about it. He's not just like, he's not spoiled brat, Richie Rich. He more no. like, you know, if if someone is like, hey, Brighton, go do this. He's very like, do I really like, do I really have to? We all, we all know I'm never going to have to work. You know, like he's that kid who's, he's kind of tongue in cheek, but I still think he's the, like, I was actually wondering why he was the kid they chose to have the whole winter adventure with. And a, it could just be that it looks visually cool to have like a, a girl and a boy and the dog, but it could also be they were just like, he's going to nail this comedically yeah. and be way more fun to go on this adventure with than either of the girls. And frankly, with the way the the character arcs in this episode, I think mm-hmm. I think it makes the most sense to have it be him too. True. That softness of like, oh yeah, I guess I I guess I have to understand that this is beyond me but anyway Mm -hmm. so he comes in and fran wants to show him this homeless shelter to really you know sort of implore on him the importance of like giving on christmas and that they're very well off and that they have everything they could possibly need so any any christmas presents they get is just like icing on the cake and they decide to take chester the dog with them which (laughs) at this point it's become very muddled that like chester is actually cc's dog (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that makes a lot of sense. I feel like Cece brings Chester to the house, just hands him off to Fran, and Fran probably does the most actual parenting of this dog of child. This dog. Yeah. So they go, and Chester immediately sees a cat and runs, which goes into this extended sequence of Fran holding on to the leash and and Brighton's hand as they're like pulled all, like, all around, and all this crazy stuff happens, and... We do see them hit their head, but then they're also sort of transported to the North Pole. And they get there, and the first thing that, that's weird, other than that they're in the North Pole, is Chester starts talking. And can I just quickly interject? Two interesting choices that I thought that were made here mm-hmm. um, that I was like, oh, I wonder why they did that. First of all, the cat that distracts Chester and causes, like, you know, this whole chase scene. It comes into – it's in the house. They, it, yeah. they haven't left the house and then he sees a cat and then yeah. like, you know, runs down the street and this all happens. The cat is like in the leaving room and then all of this running around happens within the mansion. So I was like, wouldn't it have made sense to have someone be like, how'd that cat get in here? Because it's like the Sheffields don't have a cat. So <laughs> that was like – the fir- I was like surprised to see the cat. The second thing that I thought was really interesting was – once you kind of, this is about where you figure out like, oh, that's what this episode is. Fran hits her head and then they wake up in this like, you know, clearly like her, uh, she's unconscious and this is kind of happening in her imagination. It's like, that's right. where like the Wizard of Oz stuff happens. Wouldn't it have made more sense and probably been easier to have started the episode out live action? 
like a totally normal first five minutes. Then every- have her hit her head and yes. have go into and, animation. And wake up in animation world. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a really interesting choice once I was like, oh, I get it. That's what's happening here. Um, I wonder two things. First, if it wasn't just a budgetary thing, like, hey, we're doing all this animation. We're just going to animate the whole damn thing and you guys can get the week off and you don't have to come in and film anything. And, and you know, because it still costs money to have people like on set and like yeah. do all of that yeah. stuff. Um, <clears throat> and this doesn't cost that kind of money, but this costs different money. So maybe to incur both expenses was mm-hmm. just beyond them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, you know, I think there's something, there is an argument to be made for this was a popular thing to do, you know, just like a fully animated episode. There is no intro in, intro out. It's just, this is a Christmas special. It's, I don't even know that it's necessarily considered an episode of the show so much as just like the nanny Christmas special, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think they thought that by animating the whole thing that made it more special, you know, like, oh, this mm. is a fully animated, you've never seen this before. You'll never see it again. Here's a fully animated episode of the nanny. Okay. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I genuinely don't know what the actual reasoning behind their, their choices was, but. Um, and I'll say this, very little information out there mm-hmm. on the internet, because we always do a lot of reading usually about each episode. I could not find like an interview where they talk about it. Dude. This is, a, it's almost like a, like a, if you hadn't watched it with your own eyes, you, you might think you dreamed it, which one reviewer actually said online. <laughs> so. What's really interesting about that is I looked really hard for reviews from the time. Sometimes if you look for reviews, you can find like old, like LA Times, you know, from, mm-hmm. I actually ended up in looking for a review of this episode. I found an article from 1993 about the pilot from the LA Times, just talking about, Hey, we've seen this pilot. This is going to be a huge show. It's not great, but this lady friend is hilarious, mm. um, which I thought was really really interesting um find but i couldn't find anything about the episode itself no reviews no even after the fact years later people rewatching this thing a couple of youtube videos uh, of some people kind of watching it from the standpoint of like this is so bizarre that this exists mm-hmm. um but i really wanted to find like what was the you know 1995 reaction to this um and i couldn't find it so I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it lost, was received when it came out. Lost in the annals of time. Yes, the time annals. <laughs> um, and also, I knew a joke like that was coming. You had to. <laughs> also, I wanted to note before we move uh, further um, that Chester's voiced by the very accomplished Pamela Hayden, who you probably don't know by name, but you will know when I tell you that she has voiced. <gasps> Ready? Mm-hmm. Millhouse from The Simpsons, um, uh, several characters on Aubrey and Monster, several characters on Tom and Jerry. She also uh, was on Pinky and the Brain. She also worked on the new Batman adventure. She was Connie and Hey Arnold. She has a voice appearance in Being John Malkovich. She was also Yope on Recess. She was also the voice of uh, Bianca the Bunny on in Spyro the Dragon video game. She also voiced Lloyd in Space. She also voiced Party Wagon. I mean, this lady is, she was on the Pound Puppies. Um, but first and foremost, you'd probably know her as Milhouse, Jimbo, Rod Flanders. I mean, <laughs> she's all over The Simpsons, uh, Pamela Hayden. And she's phenomenal. Great, great voice actress. I recognized her voice instantly just from years of watching cartoons with this lady on it. Um, 
I agree. I I couldn't place her, but I was like, this person has to be somebody. That's the vibe I got. Um, So that was really cool too. Um, And Chester has a very uh, (laughs) – if if anyone who hasn't seen this episode yet, just go watch it because even Chester's voice was sort of an interesting creative choice. Yeah, well, Chester's implied to be a dude just based on his name. And then it's not a very – it's not like a boy voice coming out of him necessarily. Yeah, it's yeah, It's kind of yeah. like scrappy, like, hey. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Wow, like, friends, we're going on an adventure. Yeah. Yes, yes. It, it was – I mean, it was very Saturday morning cartoon, um, the feel of the whole thing. Like, I, a child yeah. would watch this and be 100% entertained, and so would an adult. Um, yeah. And the other thing to note is um, – a lot of the nanny actors voice multiple characters in this animated special. So everyone voices themselves like before we get to like animated or I mean, before we get to North Pole world, everyone is like their own voice. But then we get to the North Pole, Chester talks. The first thing they meet is they meet a snowman who is voiced by um, Daniel Davies, Daniel Davies, uh, <laughs> Niles. And he comes in and he warns them. He sort of like blows in and warns them um, that the <laughs> the abominable CC no CC uh, the, the abominable Babcock <laughs> CC the like, abominable Babcock. Watch out! It's CC the abominable Babcock. Like she appears every twenty eight years to try to ruin Christmas. Yes. Um, Which every twenty eight years was that supposed to be a reference to? I didn't get what that was. was that know, it's, definitely, be, it's a period joke. It's a period late, joke, they right? Say it again, like, yes, okay. Later in the episode, again, it's like, oh, every 28 years, she just, you know, gets so over the top and has to yes. get dramatic. Yes. It's another period joke. I wrote one of Sean's favorites. We know <laughs> that you love a good period joke. <laughs> I just think, like, what's the point? Like, I'm not grossed out by period humor or periods in general. It's just like, uh, it's so lazy. It's like, oh, she's on her period and she's a real jerk. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Sean, so, does does so that weird. mean you won't co uh, co-sign on my book of all period jokes all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I've been so excited to show it to you. Is the book called It's a Nice Day for a Red Wedding? <laughs> no, it's called All Period Jokes All the Time. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so there's a snowman that's talking and Chester's talking and they're and then CC the abominable snowman. Oh, sorry, CC the abominable Babcock shows up and chases them and they end up running away from her. She's sort of this like big sort of storm cloud with this angry CC face. Yeah. And they end up jumping off a cliff into a chocolate river. Mm-hmm. And then they jump onto a giant marshmallow yeah. on like a raft. And this is when I was like, wow, like I wish I was on something right now while I was watching this because this would be really cool. But so, and then they find themselves in basically Candyland where everything's edible. And- well, it's the North. I mean, they're in a, a weird stylized version of the North Pole, which took me a long time to be like, is this supposed to be the North Pole? And then they do say, yes, it's the North Pole. But what it, it's really like a weird, it, they, they call it Santa's Candy Castle, which I don't know that in any Santa Claus lore has it ever been established that he lives in like a Candyland dream world? So much as just he's got like a small house with like a workshop in the North Pole. I've been well, Jewish, so what do I know? That's why I say there was a there was a hint of Willy Wonka in here because it was sure. like that scene in Willy Wonka where you know everything's edible, and of course you know Fran and Brighton are going crazy, and, and Brighton's like you know loading up this big sack full of candy, and Fran is like 
she's like, this, this has to be a test. And then Brighton goes, and it's all free. And then she goes, I failed. And she cramps stuff in her mouth. And um, she makes a joke that she hopes there's Weight Watchers in the, in the North Pole. And then, then they meet, um, they meet uh, Elphis. Elphis. Elphis, who is an elf, uh, also voiced by Niles. Yes. It's basically um, an elf version of Niles. Yes. With an Elvis joke thrown in for good measure. Uh-huh. And, um, and Elphis, he sort of ser- yeah. he sort of serves as their guide at this point. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say their god. I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa, what were you watching? <laughs> oh, um, did yeah, I, he, I, did, I did end up taking drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he becomes their guide and he has one of my favorite li- lines, which is um he's he's explaining that CC the abominable what CC the abominable Babcock is, and he goes She's like 2,000 pounds of anger with arms like a wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) What? Well, and then Fran goes, just like my mother. Yeah. 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 And so then they – he sort of points to this like ice cream castle. Um, and in fact, that was one of my favorite lines where Fran goes, it's a banana split level. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. and he says that that's actually where Chris Kringle lives. Chris Kringle being Santa. Yeah. And this is when we meet Chris Kringle, who looks and sounds exactly like Maxwell Sheffield. Yes. And he, he actually, um, reveals that the whole, you know, big belly and beard and Mrs. Claus were just, uh, creations of, of his publicist. Right. So, so, you know, the real Chris Kringle is just this guy, this normal, handsome guy, yeah. um, which I thought was kind of a funny, a funny concept. Um, and it's in this scene that, you know, Brighton says something like, you know, you can't be Santa. Santa's not real. And they have that very, that it's almost like that iconic movie in like a lot of movies involving children in Santa where he's like, Oh yeah. And he swings open the door to Santa's workshop. And we see like this huge, amazing space where elves are just making toys and, you know, there's yep. Christmas cheer. Um, and that leads into a sort of um, show tunes. A musical number. Yeah. We get number. A, musical, a, a full out musical number called Oi to the world sung mm-hmm. by uh, Elphis the Elf, which is yeah, which with really Fran. is great because we've talked a lot about Niles having a great singing voice, or, or you know Daniel Davies having a, a great singing voice, and how you know they sort of tease it in episodes. But I thought it was actually genuinely great to see him get a chance to like full out musical theater, sing his heart out with Fran. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I um, liked it. <laughs> it. I was like, I'm enjoying this now. Now I, I the song is what pulled me in. Yeah, this this episode it's kind of a slow burn because it's like first you just have to get your bearings in the style and the tone and then from there once you kind of like get it and you kind of get into it then it's just this really fun ride from like here awesome. on out. Yeah. 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 Um, and um, so they have that song and dance number where Fran is kind of interjecting with like oi to the world. <laughs> and then um, it's revealed that Christmas might be canceled this year because Cece the Abominable Babcock uh, is making the weather so bad that Santa might not be able to to fly his sleigh. And so Fran then realizes that if there's no Christmas, there won't be any after Christmas sales. <laughs> so she decides to hatch a plan to help and, you know, to basically stop uh, 
the abominable Babcock. And that just entails uh, Fran and Chester sneaking into the ice castle, which is very sort of, you know, ahead of its time when you think of like Frozen and Elsa. And I mean, it's not ahead of its time because there was, there's the ice queen that appears in many different. It's not ahead of its time at all, but. No, it's not. But I mean, (laughs) it's, it's for younger viewers who maybe haven't seen like, um, uh, well, again, I mean, the I, wardrobe or what was yeah. the one? Was I? Oh, I loved that one as a kid. Was yeah, it there's also the, the Ice Princess? No, the Ice Queen. That's the ice what queen. it's called. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Which, but the thing is, I don't think a lot of kids today know that. that no, I mean, it's a pretty was, old fairy tale. I was familiar with it because there used to be an, a TV series called Fairy Tale Theater where they would have actors come in and like live action reenact old mm. fairy tales. It was hosted by, I think, Shelley Duvall hosted it. Okay. So um, there- have you never seen it? Oh, you would. Lo- uh, I got to find you some of that. It's really incredible. And it had like, like a list actors from like the, like, like late eighties and nineties would come in. It was an HBO series and they would reenact, um, fairy tales. Truly, oh, truly so cool. great. Oh, it's really great. I'll find you some of it after this. I'll show you some stuff. Yeah. But, um, um, but yeah, so they go in to, uh, the, the castle, ice- they sneak into the castle <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, through a window. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and Fran um, finds a thermostat and decides the reason that Cece is upset is because she's cold. Yes. Which I think is also supposed to be just like a, a – is, is, it, is it another like menopausal sort of like she can't regulate her temperature kind of uh, gag is what I, I think, think it's supposed so. to be? I think she's just like anyone would be cranky if they were that cold all the time. So right. she goes – well, actually, you know what? Now I can't remember if that was the motivation. I was thinking that – and maybe because I was taking notes while I was watching, I missed it. I was thinking she was just going to turn up the thermostat to like melt the – to melt the abominable Babcock. But I think you're right. I think it was like, you know, she's probably just, you know, in a bad mood because she's freezing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so Fran turns up the thermostat or she's about to. She tells but- Chester, watch out for Cece, whistle if you, if you see her. And then Chester, who can talk, um, <laughs> sees Cece as Fran is messing with the thermostat. But instead of yelling out or saying like, oh no, it's Cece, he just starts whining and then until Cece, you know, eventually like makes herself known and like grabs Fran and him. And Fran's like, why didn't you whistle? And he goes, because I have no lips, which I yes. also love. Yes, yes, yes. But he wasn't just whining. He was like doing sort of a little like, uh, there was, I forget what song it was, but it was like, like dance and sing to get her attention, but also kind of be quiet about it. And then I loved this part because so the abominable Babcock, I just, I refuse to call her Cece in this episode because I just love her full name. But she finds them and she's, you know, like, how dare you? And she yeah. literally freezes them in this into a huge ice block. Like she right. foils their plan. And then, <laughs> then she goes, Christmas is doomed. <laughs> and then it cuts to commercial. But she quickly goes, don't change the channel. <laughs> I laughed. I, I think um, as this episode goes on, her character is the funniest one to me. As, especially with how this gets resolved. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we come back from the commercial break and Brighton is – a chiseling Fran out of the block of ice, Fran and Chester out of the block of ice, and they're back at Chris Kringle's castle. Um, and now, though, everything around them starts to freeze because uh, well, we get you missed the you missed it. it Fran goes, "This is taking too long," and so she looks at a picture of she goes, "Show me a picture of Mel Gibson," which is unfortunate, oh, right. even though he was super hot. Like I get why they picked Mel Gibson in 1995. 
But when you hear Mel Gibson now out of a Jewish lady's mouth, you're like, ooh, <laughs> if only we had known. <laughs> well, we've ta- I think we've both talked about this, that our moms both really loved Mel yeah. Gibson. If only we had and- known how anti-Semitic he was. Uh, oh, my- he was my mom's film. guy. Yeah, like, mine too. <sighs> but anyway, she sees a picture of Mel Gibson and the ice instantly melts off of her, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And then um, Brighton wants to go home. He's like, I'm done with this. I want to go home now. And But they can't get home because – as you you mentioned, everything starts to freeze. He sees like really like a, or the abominable Babcock is really upset. <laughs> everything starts to freeze, including Elphis. Um, and friends, like, we have to do something. Like, we gotta, I know how to fix this. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> throw a party. And they're like, What? And she's like, just trust me, just trust me. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna, this is gonna, I'm gonna throw a straw away. I know exactly how to handle this. And so we cut to this party, <laughs> and she's invited uh the abominable Babcock. And the abominable Babcock shows up and is like, why are you having a party? Like, I hate parties. I'm going to destroy everything. everything. And Fran holds her ground and she goes, oh, all right. Well, you know, we can, I guess we can shut the party down. You know, I guess then I'll... You don't know want to know who your secret admirer is. She's even even more subtle. She goes, oh, fine. She goes, and she like looks at Chester and goes, I really don't know what her secret admirer sees in her. And literally... It was this great comedic beat where, like, the use of sound effects was really good, too. Because, you know, there's, like, thunder and wind and this and that. And it all just stops. And then yeah. the abominable Babcock just goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, come again? Yeah. Um, and and so we realize now that her, her, her loneliness is what's really causing all of this. Cece is just her, you know, the abominable Babcock is just so incredibly lonely. It's made her ice cold and upset. And we, she suddenly is very into every <laughs> hanging on Fran's every word as Fran sort of teases out the idea that there is someone who's interested in her, but mm-hmm. she has to promise to not destroy Christmas, and she has to promise to never get involved in in any Christmas shenanigans again. And she'll introduce her to this secret admirer, and the abominable Babcock agrees eventually, <laughs> reluctantly at first, but is like, okay, okay, let's just do it. Yeah, she's like, the suspense is killing me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and she introduces, Fran introduces her to the rain man, which is a rain cloud with the face of Dustin Hoffman from the movie rain man, (gasps) which frankly is such a 90s specific reference. I don't know that it holds up at all anymore. Um, but, uh, also I thought it was really interesting that like both Mel Gibson and Dustin Hoffman have been fully canceled for being gross at this point. And, um, but for very different reasons, for very different reasons, but like both, both references in this episode don't pass like the present day test where you're like, oof, neither one of those guys is a great, is a great reference. Also, I'm pretty sure the character in Rain Man is just like an autistic dude. And it, it also struck me as weird that like for a very long time in 1995 and like through like the early 2000s, everyone was just having a ball with Rain Man because he does a very specific, voice in that movie you know dustin hoffman where he's like definitely definitely gonna count definitely gonna count counting counting all the time definitely counting and people were making fun of i think dustin hoffman's voice choice more than the character but like ultimately Uh. all of that is just like tied into the fact that like yeah he was he was trying to portray in his own way an autistic character so this rain man 
cloud yeah. with Dustin Hoffman's face is going like, uh, hi. And he even has a little backpack on, I noticed. Like yeah, a rain cloud backpack. Cece is thrilled. She's like, oh, he's adorable. Yeah. And she's like, would you maybe want to go for a walk around the world with me? Anyone showed her affection, she would be into it. It doesn't yeah. matter who it is. Can I just say this also? The actor who did the Dustin Hoffman Rain Man parody, it's Maurice Lamarche. Oh, yes. Um, and good. he's a voiceover actor from Toronto. He did Brain from Pinky and the Brain, yeah. King Agnar from Frozen. He was in Futurama. Um, Maurice also has done this exact impression before. He he voiced um, Dustin Hoffman's Rain Man on the uh, 90s uh, animated show The Critic. Um, he also did a version of this character on Animaniacs. Uh, oh, because yeah. that show was also chock full of, of movie parodies and mm-hmm. he did this character on that. Um, let's see, what would be more recent stuff? He was Morbo on Futurama. Well, that's why I said, um, King Agnar from Frozen. Yes. He's also, um, Oddval on the King Oddval on Disenchantment. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is on now, uh, you yeah. know, and, and, hitters. and he does the voice of Orson Welles on the Simpsons on any time that the <laughs> voice of Orson Welles shows up on the Simpsons, which is weirdly a lot. That's, <laughs> that's him. Um, um and yeah. so, but basically Fran saves Christmas. So this ingenious plan and sort of her, you know, as she often is in real life too, sort of her intuitive nature and like kind of understanding what's really driving people um, mm-hmm. is what saves the day. And so then Chris Kringle, AKA Maxwell Sheffield um, offers to give them a ride in his sleigh, like back home. Um, and this is when they meet some reindeers. There were some good jokes in here. Like <laughs> Pr- Prancer's actually dancer and he's just super, like a super fave flamboyantly gay reindeer and yeah. Blitzen. He's like, it's actually Blintzes. Who else are they going to get to work on Christmas Eve? Which real quick <laughs> note here, IMDb trivia lists this as a reference to a book called Blintzes for Blitzen, but Stupid. Blintzes for Blintzen didn't get published until 1996. So it's not. This is not a reference to that. It's just a joke. And that also is a joke. And they're just very similar, like, <laughs> jokes. But, like, it's, it, it is not based off of, uh, uh, Blintzes for Blitzen because that book didn't come out until the following year. Yep. Yeah. So, it's um, not- so screw and also, you, and also this is animation, which means this was written and made uh, like even, probably even a year before this episode even aired in '95, in December of '95. So it's definitely not a reference to that. It's just, I mean, how many jokes you're going to make out of Blitzen? And, I mean, and also Jewish there, jokes. There was, There's only um, one, and it's Blitzes. <laughs> there was some other thing that I saw on IMBD goofs where I was just. I was just like, oh, come on. Like when, when I saw the goof, I was like, that's not a goof. Like how, how is somebody, we always circle back to this and we always get re fired up about it. Um, oh, this was it. Goofs. Fran takes off on her adventure with Chester the dog, but that dog belongs to Cece. <laughs> There's yeah. literally an exclamation point. It's only her dog in real life, not in the show. And it's like, that's not a goof. Like, she, Chester's around the house all the time, and Fran always, you know, loves and being around Chester. She could have just taken Chester on a walk. We've also, I think we've actually established on the show before that Cece sometimes is like, here, take the dog and walk yeah. him. Like, I mean, Fran's the help, and Cece treats the help yeah. like the help. So she, it makes total yeah. sense that she would just shrug her dog responsibilities off on someone else and Fran is, and the dog likes Fran. I, I don't know. Yeah. That's, yeah. A little thing. I was just like, uh, I'm like, I'm never going to stop getting um, annoyed. 
<laughs> every we time. Um, but so they, they go off in Santa's sleigh and Brighton and Fran and Chester actually. Uh, although compen- we did the, the line about blintzes is funny, not because they're just like, oh, my name is blintzes instead of blitzen. But he goes, hey, man. I'm a Jewish reindeer. I'm one of the only ones who's cool working on Christmas. No, which... I already said that. I loved... Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, well we really? said it twice. Hey, hey, the joke's so nice. We said it twice. And, I, and you misquoted it. <laughs> Listeners, who's the real co-host of this show? No, I'm leaving. <laughs> um, but, oh, so this leads to like sort of the, the last part of the episode where – they are helping Kris Kringle deliver gifts. You know, they're going all over the world and they're going down chimneys. And then they get to the very last stop, which is actually the homeless shelter that Fran was going to take Brighton to in the first place. And there's all these kids there and they're all so excited to see Santa. But that's when Santa realizes that he miscalculated and he doesn't have quite enough gifts for all the kids. And Fran's, Fran literally whispers to Chester, she's like, you only, like, he has 364 days of the year off and he still screws up. <laughs> but so, but this is really the heart of the episode where Brighton is there and he's looking around at all these kids who don't have a home and he looks at his big, the giant bag of candy and goods that he had collected at North Pole and he kind of thinks about it and he's like, Santa, you forgot you have this bag too. Yeah. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And then he, you know, Fran's like, Brighton, like, wow, that's really generous of you. And he's like... You know, you you know, like you said, like this is what Christmas is all about. And you know, us kids have to look out for each other. And you know, I already have so much. And so yeah. Brighton learns his lesson, and that kind of felt authentic to what we know about Brighton. I think he really would cute. do that. And, I, really and that cute. was, and when that happened, that's why that that is why I said earlier, like, oh, you know what? He actually makes sense as the best kid to have brought on this adventure because I don't know if that would have felt as organic with either of the other two. That mm-hmm. that sort of like full arc. Um, and then we get my favorite line of the entire episode, which is we cut to Fran driving the sleigh and she <laughs> goes, wow, what an upper. <laughs> which, I love that. I love that. What an upper is her line there. It's so it's like, what? She's getting like super high off of the control of driving this sleigh. I, thought I, it was I so mean, you gotta love It's gotta be. It's gotta I be. I love that line. What wow. What an upper. <laughs> what an upper. And then she ends up crashing the sleigh. And this kind of brings us back to where we left off at the beginning yeah. because she she kind of comes to outside of the mansion. And it's sort of that, like, again, the end of the Wizard of Oz moment where they're all like, Miss Fine, Miss Fine, are you all right? Because, you know, she and Brighton and Chester had fallen out a window <laughs> earlier in right. the episode. So now they've, like, found them and and they're like, you know, wake up, wake up. And she's like, you know, it's very much a, like, oh, we were at the North Pole and, like, you were there and you were there and this and that. And they're like, oh, Miss Fine, like, it was just a dream. And she's like, oh, you're right, you're right. right. Even Brighton doesn't remember it. He's like, you hit your head. Yeah. 
And, but then there's this really, I thought, sweet moment where Mr. Sheffield's like, well, come on, like, let's all go get our coats. Like, we should all go to the mm-hmm. homeless shelter together yep. and volunteer. And then they kind of leave Fran with Chester, um, you know, because they're going to come back out once they get their coats. And she's like, oh, Chester, I guess it was a dream. And then Chester goes, yeah, because you ate all that candy and your pants still fit. <laughs> and yep. she's like, it's like a, <gasps> yep. thus you proving talk. it wasn't a dream. This is all in cash. Canon. This all actually <laughs> happened, and it's never mentioned again. But it did happen, and I—that is—that is the continuity that I am going with. That's my head canon for the nannies. That this mm. all happened in real time. God, if only. Um, and I, Don't I you wish that the next episode, the next live action episode of this show, opened with Fran having a bandage on her head from falling out the window. <laughs> Because I do. <laughs> and they rent that, you know, oh, we had to, you know, we had to lock uh, Maggie's window after that cat yeah. got in and, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and I fell out. <laughs> exactly. Um, but so my note at the end of all this was this was a very like Christmas, Christmassy spirit episode. Yep. And especially noteworthy that it was written by a couple of Jewish people. Yep. Um, and but it, it, it really was you know th- about like the christmas spirit and mm-hmm. and sharing what you have and thinking about others and i think the funny thing is there's a lot of jew american jews who really do love christmas and like it's just you know it's not a religious thing but it's just a like oh yeah like i i love the the lights and the spirit of gen- you know getting into the spirit of generosity not necessarily the gift stuff and um it i think it's for a certain section of Americans has transcended to just like fun time and I agree. kind of, devo- you know, you can kind of separate it from um, it's like religious roots. I did think, you know, I do feel like it's a missed opportunity for two very powerful Jewish television creators to get the ability to do something like this and make a Christmas episode instead of making something for Jewish audiences. Because like every, I mean, my whole life, I grew up watching Christmas specials. I don't know that I've ever seen a Hanukkah, anything. And, you know, that's part of why I think so many Jews like Christmas is because like, well, that's what we're given. So you're into it or you spend a lot of time like really miserable about it. And um, so it would have been cool to see them do this and put all of this effort into something that was a little more um, geared towards Jewish faith or like towards like a like a Jewish holiday would have been cool. Um, but I also understand why a network would probably have been like, nah, do a Christmas special, you know? Well, I wonder if they even could have gotten approval on a Hanukkah special. Like, exactly. You know, like um, – uh, Hanukkah's boring. No one cares. Do a Christmas episode. Well, and to be fair, not that I think this went, this goes into anybody's calculus in terms of the entertainment industry. Hanukkah is not a, an actual huge religiously important holiday in Judaism. Like a lot of, I would Correct. say, non-Jewish people, like that's the one they know and they sort of think, oh yeah, it's like Jewish Christmas. But in terms of actual, you know, the the yearly holiday calendar, Hanukkah is like small potatoes. There's much bigger holidays that mean a lot more, are taken a lot more seriously. In other countries, like in Israel, the whole gift giving thing isn't even a part of Hanukkah. It's just that, you know, American and Western Jews uh, wanted, you know, felt bad that their kids weren't getting presents because it always overlaps with Christmas. So that be- that's kind of like a, a right. new modern thing, but there, there's no like 
actual reason for it religiously. So right. it's not the Jewish Christmas. Like they're they're just no, it's not. They're yeah. just near each other. Um, yeah, it's yeah. not it, like like I, I mean, you could argue that Passover is actually a more important religious holiday than Hanukkah is, or like Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippur, or, yeah. yeah. Which you know, again, the, I I think my criticism still stands, which is it would have been cool to see this type of treatment for one of those things. Because it's not something that we ever get, you know? I, I wonder if there's – that would be kind of interesting if there was a Yom Kippur episode where Fran has to fast. You know, I mean, or, or anything, or even just like a fun – I like, I don't know. I, I feel like there are ways to make those holidays as, you know, as entertaining and take like the spirit of what those holidays are supposed to mean to the Jewish people and explain that spirit in a fun way to a wider audience, which is what – Every Christmas holiday special is, right? Is it's because they're not ever really about Jesus. They're always just about like the reason for the season and why the Christmas spirit is important. You very rarely get a holiday special that's like, this is about Jesus Christ's yeah. birth. You know? It, I would love to have seen it. I would love to see the very special episode all about all about Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, but I'll say this. Um I don't fault Peter Mark Jacobson or Fran Drescher at all for that no. not being this. I Same. think there, there must have, you know, you can only imagine what they would be up against in trying to make something like that. But it just would have been, yeah, I agree. It would be, it'd be cool to it'd see. It'd be interesting. That's yeah. all. It would just mm-hmm. be interesting. Um, um, and that's and it, that's it for the episode, right? That's it. That's the whole wild that's ride. the whole episode. It's also kind of noteworthy. This is... Well, it's the third season. It's their second real Christmas episode because the first one was season one where, if you'll remember, uh, they end up in the hospital after Mr. Sheffield sits on some glass and they find out that Santa is real. Yes. Um, and I don't think we really did anything last season. So so this is – now we're two for three for, for right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, should we move on to segments? Yeah. Let's move on to segments. And now segments. So – Segments. Yeah, no, I think we should move on to segments. I say we can move on to our segments. And now, segments. Segments uh, with Sean and Toria. I hope that you uh, included some jingle bells over. Oh, you know that segments theme is going to have a little Christmassy remix to a, it. A little flair. Just a little flair. Yeah. Um, so for me, I really, I, I think I got my first big laugh um, when Brighton says, you know, I'm over this. I just want to go home. And Freeing goes, we can't just bail on Santa. And then Brian goes, Niles is making your favorite stuffing. And she goes, we're out of here. <laughs> and I did really like when uh, Fran hatches a second plan to try to um, defeat Cece the Abominable Babcock. And she's like, come on, Chester. And he's like, no, I quit. They use 12 different Beethovens and I don't even have one lousy stunt double. <laughs> um, I liked that. And I did. I forgot to fact check if they really did use twelve different Beethovens. I'm pretty sure they used several. I don't know if twelve. Twelve seems like an excessive amount, unless unless dogs kept dying on. I was, I was just going to make the joke. Well, you know, eight of them died. <laughs> uh, great minds. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually kind of went through all my favorite lines as we were talking about this episode. I, I, mm-hmm, I kind of hit them all. Like they were. They were all kind of intrinsic to what was happening, so I, I kind of just slipped them in as, as we went through. But my, you know, my favorite line, as I mentioned, is "What an upper!" 
I really like, <laughs> I really like what an upper. I also like, um, I also like the elf describing, uh, the abominable Babcock as, uh, 2000 pounds with arms like a wrestler. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Which is extra funny cuz like as she's drawn she has no arms. So <laughs> it's just an insult. It's just a CC insult. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but I totally agree. I said a lot of my favorite things throughout. Um yeah. and then in terms of Yiddish, we had the word mensch, uh which we've had before. It's like a person of integrity mm-hmm. and honor, but we had it in a in a line, which I don't think we could have ever imagined in a thousand years, where uh, Fran goes, Elphis, you're such a mensch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have the non-Yiddish word, but it makes me laugh, Budinsky. It's like an English-Yiddish hybrid where it's like, you're such a Budinsky. Yeah. I mean, you're always butting in. Butting into people's stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, for Nanny trivia, a couple things. Um, you know, we mentioned that there's not – like a, there's no like articles or think pieces or, you know, nostalgia blogs about this episode. So it's, it's hard to get information about it. But I actually uh, went down this rabbit hole where I found out that the episode was sold on – the DVD just of this episode uh, was sold on Amazon starting in like 2007. And when you read the comments about this, you, you really start to appreciate um, – what it was like for nanny fans uh, before it was available on HBO Max because yes. there's all of these – like uh, here's an example of one. It was a review from uh, August 2006 and it's um, – since this Christmas special, Oi to the World, came out during the third season of The Nanny, this special will be included on the third season DVD when it becomes available, probably in spring. It's a great episode and I look forward to seeing it again after 10 long years. <laughs> and they're all like this. And like, you know, yep. people loved this show. But, you know, yeah, you could get DVDs when they would come out. But it it was hard to it was hard to watch for a long time. But it didn't yeah. mean that like the fan base went anywhere. So – And weirdly were, enough, uh, a couple of – Months ago, I was looking for this episode and it wasn't yet even on HBO Max. And I remember I had even mentioned to you, oh, we might have to, we might have to watch this episode elsewhere because they haven't, it is not included in the HBO Max lineup yet. And then it, and then they sort of fixed the, um, the order of episodes. Uh, and then it appeared. Which is great because I really didn't want to watch it on Vimeo because the one that I found was like such low quality. It was impossible to see. What if HBO Max, uh, because they kept screwing up the order, had accidentally made this like the series finale? (laughs) (laughs) People were watching it being totally bewildered. Um, The other thing I wanted to say, though, is that um, I know that you had mentioned like, oh, other shows have done animation specials. But this was actually really ahead of its time because when I was um, reading like this, you know, roundup of like the 15 best animation specials on live action shows, this was the only one from the 90s. Like there was other shows that did it like later, like Community and Pen15 recently did it and Supernatural. But this wasn't crazy common in 1995. I mean, it really, it it was really creative. And I think we say this a lot. Like there's certain things that this show was doing. Like recently we saw Fran have like the thought bubble that she pops and um, some certain flashbacks um, that, that are zanier and comedically became much more mainstream like a decade later, um, which is really cool. Um, And then I feel like I, I have a lot of nannies stuff 
this week. Um, but I just I found some good stuff. Um, I wanted to say that this is kind of a plug too that, you know, so Sean and I are going to be on another podcast talking about the nanny next week. Um, it's a show called Culturally Determined, um, hosted by Arya Cohen Wade. And I happen to be listening to some other episodes of that podcast, which talks, you know, there's all sorts of guests who appear on that about all sorts of different shows, uh, sorry, all sorts of different topics in pop culture. Um, but I happened to listen to one from about a month ago where Arye interviewed the New York Times comedy critic. And they were talking about Jewish representation on television and how growing up, there was just very few Jewish characters on TV. And then they right. started talking about how that started to change in the 90s. Um, but they brought up the fact that culturally, it's much more acceptable for men to sort of advertise their, quote, Jewishness, whereas a lot of female, like women in the entertainment industry, like, you know, Scarlett Johansson or Rachel Weisz or Natalie Portman, like, they don't often advertise their their right. Jewish culture or play into it or sort of make it, you know, part of their characters or personas. And that, you know, while yes, we started getting Seinfeld in, you know, the 90s and a few other, and then we eventually got Larry David. Right. Um, it's it's different when men are doing it. Um, and yeah. I I kind of wanted, I was like, well, oh that's my God. on anti-Semitism. I well, mean, yes. I mean that that was the whole that's, an, that's just anti-Semitism well, in its most blatant form. Yeah, you know, and well, basically, somehow the- Jewish women are less acceptable than Jewish men, or less appealing. Jewish men are acceptable because they're like funny and whatever, and Jewish women are not as acceptable. So they are, you know, because the stereotype of Jewish women is, you know, much different. This shrill yes. sort of, you know, uh, uh, caricature. Yeah, and you know, that's uh, you know what the context of that conversation was. But while I was listening, I was like, oh my God, this is one of those times where I wish podcasts were like live and you could call in because I wanted to be like, but you guys are forgetting one iconic person, Fran Drescher. And it made me really like appreciate all over again what she and Peter Mark Jacobson were doing because she was unapologetically Jewish. And Mm -hmm. she, you know, there aren't very many women in pop culture and almost none in sitcoms who were like almost like to say out and proud sort of takes, you know, I don't want to take something away from a whole other community, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what it was. And um, it just, well, I don't know, it made me kind of like have a, a, a renewed love again for Fran Drescher. If you uh, go back to the very first episode of this show, you know, one of the first things we talked about is how I think one of the reasons this show permeated our minds so much was because of the Jewish representation. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. that I was a huge Fran Drescher fan in the nineties, or I was even a huge, you know, sitcom fan in the nineties, but there was something about this very Jewish woman constantly talking about being Jewish references to Jewish tropes and Jewish family and like all these little insides, so much Yiddish. I mean, (laughs) watching this show as a kid made me feel seen in that very specific Jewish way where I was like, oh, it's like popular and mainstream and cool to talk about like Yiddish and this and that. And um, so that had a huge impact, I think, uh, on, on me. And I didn't even, I don't even know that I recognized it at the time. It wasn't until years, years later 
Um, and then, and then, you know, even years after that, when we started to talk, you know, rewatch the show that, that I was like, oh, I think that's what I loved about this so much mm-hmm. is it really spoke to me because there wasn't a ton. I mean, growing up, my like, you know, Jewish, uh, uh, celebrity idols was like, uh, Mel Brooks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, uh, this guy, it was like a lot of old timey, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jewish comedians were sort of like the, the, the signposts. And then you had Seinfeld, of course, uh, right around this time started to get big. And, but even Seinfeld as a series, it's not, it's not as Jewish as the no, show. It's They're very ambiguous. Jewish. He's very Jewish in the way he acts. And they sometimes, you know, his parents obviously uh, have a little bit more of like, you get more, you know, Jewish specific references in those episodes. But it's kind of not a Jewish show the way this show is. Yeah. No, the, he's just being – he's trying to be neutral. He's trying mm-hmm. to be like, you know, net neutral. But the the thing that was also interesting is that um, the the with the podcast I was listening to, you know, the New York Times writer was saying how, you know, he grew up not even thinking that Jewish people were underrepresented in the media because, you know, even as a Jewish person, he thought, well, yeah, I mean, we're told that – Jews are successful and doing this and that, which they are, and they are a lot of in a lot of behind the scenes positions in the entertainment industry. But then he, you know, discovered some statistic that like through all of the 1970s or 80s or something like that, there was not like a single protagonist on TV who was Jewish. And then you start to realize like, oh, there really isn't representation, and I don't see myself out there, and I don't see my culture like you know, um, portrayed in any kind of three-dimensional way. Nope. So it was just, it was really interesting given all the watching we've been doing mm-hmm. and then listening to that conversation. So it kind of, it also made me excited that we're going to, you know, be talking to Arya next week. Cause I think some of the, uh, stuff he's been doing intersects well with what yeah, we talk about. Except you forget how unevergreen our podcast actually is. And by the time this episode <laughs> comes out, we may have been on that show four weeks prior. I have no idea how but- his release schedule is. So if you're listening to this and you're not sure Go, uh, that podcast is called Culturally um, Determined. Culturally Determined. So go find Culturally Determined and see if the latest episode doesn't have your old pals, Sean and Toria, on it. Yes. And, but I think I have a feeling that whatever we talk about on that show, unless I'm very off, will also be evergreen. Ours will be evergreen. Like it's, it's about a show from 30 years ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can always, uh, pop in, pop out. What if we just end up like, only talking about like war in Ukraine or something. It just goes like wildly, <laughs> wildly askew. Um, so, but, and on that note, the uh, Fran or the CC, I said, yeah. I think I'm the Fran. I love dogs and I love Christmas. You're lukewarm on dogs. And I said, you're a relationship person. You're really the CC, the abominable Babcock. I am the abominable Babcock of this, <laughs> of this episode. I'll take it. You know, I, um, I, my, my heart has been warmed to Christmas through six years of living with someone who absolutely adores everything about Christmas, mm-hmm. except for any of the religious aspects. Um, Elizabeth is really one of the first people I've ever been with who, like I, I've been with, I dated other girls who celebrated Christmas, but my enjoyment of their enjoyment was always curbed by like, it did get to a religious place eventually, mm. you know, somewhere in the celebration. Um, but Elizabeth's the first person I've dated long-term who's just like, uh, 
yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm atheist, but like, I just think Christmas is cool. I love it. It makes me feel happy inside. And like, that has been very infectious and has made me, I mean, this is the first relationship I've been in where I've, I've actively been excited about buying a Christmas tree for the last two years. Um, and it's, yeah, I don't know. I so, but yes, prior to this relationship, I was very much like bah humbug. Who cares? And I also think you would be really miserable without like um like a loving partner. I think you're uh, a partner oh, guy. A hundred percent. Uh, my single years on holidays were the roughest times because, because holidays aren't about any kind of religious thing to me at all. Even Jewish holidays, it's always about like family and relationships. And so in, in my most single alone Los Angeles times, like holidays were always the most painful because it's like, ugh. I, I don't care about your get-togethers. I don't care about your friends. I don't care about your loved ones. I just want to be left alone and have this to be over. So yeah, that's fair. I guess this week I am the CC, the abominable Babcock. Uh, yeah, you're Sean, the abominable De Pasquale. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so that is an episode. We went a very long time. Be- well, because it was there was a lot. There was a, there was lot. a lot to unpack. You thought we weren't going to have like a, enough for a whole episode, but um, I I actually think this ended up being bonus sized uh, by by our measure because we're usually right in that 35 to 45 minute range and i think this one's closer to an hour long so yeah it's a very special christmas Christmas episode that's right yeah i know probably air in july and christmas in july is a thing so christmas in i think this is gonna air in june Uh, oh i'm excited i can reuse remember the logo that i made like a long time ago now where we have christmas hats on yes (laughs) i can redo it You can. So yeah, that's 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 it. We did our Christmas episode and I'm very happy that we did one, no matter that it's not anywhere close to Christmas when this probably comes out. Um, but I feel the Christmas spirit. What about you? Me too. I felt very Christmassy after watching it. I, I liked it. This is the kind of thing I could watch every year. It's easy, breezy, fun. Yeah, I'm going to add it into my Christmas rotation of like random Christmas episode things that I watch. I'm going to I'm going to add this into the rotation cuz it was cute. I liked it. At the end of the day, I thought it was really cute. It's only 20 minutes long. It, it's just like a cute little Christmas story and it's worth it just to hear um Daniel Davies sing. <laughs> um so thank you guys for listening as always. Rate and review on all the places. It helps us so so much. Um we're at Oh Mr. Chef Pod on all, you know, on Instagram and Twitter. And we do have an email, but I don't know. Have we checked it in, you know, ever in a long time? I checked the email. I don't think we give it out that often. I'm in there a lot. But yeah, I guess if you want to email us something very specific or <laughs> something that you can't fit into a comment on Twitter or Instagram, you can email Oh Mr. Sheffield Podcast at gmail.com. Oh, and Mr. You, Sheffield podcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. I would love to get emails. That'd be fun. Um, and yeah. And if you guys want to get me a Christmas present, uh, there's that Moschino heart shaped purse. I'm just going to keep. That's right. Keep plugging yeah. it. Yeah, keep get, plugging that, it. get that purse for Toria, please. Someone go get that purse for her. Jeez. She won't stop talking about it ever since we watched that episode. The, the weird thing is I'm not a bagger of purse person. I don't know why I've become fixated on this. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I use a tote bag that has a stain on it. Uh, I don't know brands, but I want that one. It's a really cute purse. 
Yeah. And on that note, um, that's an episode. So that's an episode. bye, Toria. Goodbye. The Flushing Girl from Flushing. The nanny named Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Uh, uh, Miss Fine. <laughs> <laughs>